lots and lots of spoilers. Forget it, Max. It's Toontown. This week, it's a little zany around here as we hit each other on the head, slap each other with fish, and stick dynamite under Whoopi Goldberg. Ah, cushions. Whoopi cushions. <laughs> on the final episode of the Drawn Apart series, where cartoons and real live naked mole rats coexist, we take on what might minute. be the monarch of this odd subgenre, 1988's Who Framed Roger Rabbit, also known All as. Hail Roger. <laughs> also known as Chinatown 3. I might add... It is not. uh, We'll get to that. I might be your host with no toast, Mike Luce, if the price is right. And that over there might be the Eddie to my valiant, the mixologist mastermind, Max Levine. I also might be Teddy Roosevelt, but I'm not. (laughs) Two bits and a tilt of whiskey will get you sawbones and tree songs from the Blue Boyd Sings, or noiry stuff like that there. Huh? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) I'm just trying to, you know, get get in the mood. Oh, the mood. Ah, you big palooka. You know, back in the 40s when everyone drank hard and everyone out in Los Angeles talked like this. Uh, yeah, they all talked like they was from, like they was from New York. Yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute. But, you know, it is business. But that ain't none of your business. It's ours. And it goes a little like this. Hey, you want to contact us? Email us directly. Write to us. We will get your email, read it, and respond somehow. Uh, It is us at MaxMikeMovies.com, which might lead you to conclude that, yes, we have a website. We do. MaxMikeMovies.com, where all of our episodes have been very, very lightly sealed with Lark's Vomit and are available for free (laughs) listening pleasures around the world. (laughs) If you like social media, and who doesn't? Me. uh, You can find us on... Uh, Facebook and Twitter, where we are. Hey, Max Mike Movies. You can find us on Spotify, where we are, Max Mike Movies. And you can try for one of our top eight spaces on my MySpace. <laughs> is that even still on? It probably is. I don't know. I never. I don't think I had a MySpace page, or I, if I did, it died from neglect, like a Tamagotchi years ago. I bet your cat had one. <laughs> probably did. <laughs> right. This week, though. Show. Roger Rabbit. Or the gold standard. Or is it? Does it ha- does it? it stand up? Because you know it's been what 32 Ugh. years now. So, ah. uh, yeah. So that's the technology's come and gone and not well not come actually, and gone. It has actually. The DVD uh. is come and gone. It's like who buys those uh. anymore, right? That's true. And um people are no damn good, but they'll still want land and they'll pay through <laughs> the nose to get it. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Luthor. <laughs> So we're broadcasting live from Otisburg. <laughs> Otisburg? Well, it's just a little place down on Otisburg? the coast. Otisburg? Oh, I mean, Miss Tessman. Otisburg? Gotta... I'll wipe it out. I'll wipe it out. <laughs> Roger Rabbit, which has nothing to do with 1978 Superman movie. I have some trivia. Would you believe it? I would. I am. You could knock me over with a large iron feather. Uh, take a guess at the budget if you don't already know it. Possibly around one million (laughs) dollars. Yeah, now we know why Max doesn't work in Hollywood. Uh, Seventy million dollars. Wow, and this was in 1988? Yes, it was the most expensively produced film (laughs) of the 80s and also has the longest runtime for credits. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah. Of course, this was pre-Matrix, which basically the credits are a movie unto themselves. Yeah. Uh, the take 
Was this a success or a flop, Max? What do you think? I think it was a reasonable success, but I don't think it was a smash. World Take, $329 Okay, that's a lot, but it's not... It's more than five times its budget, so yeah, that, that's, that's that's a, a success. success. Now, that to be fair, that's from the movie at the time, and who knows how much since then, right? <clears throat> Video and everything, yeah. Yeah. Charles Fleischer, the voice of Roger Rabbit and Benny the Cab, uh, is a stand-up comedian who has had bit parts in show like, shows like Welcome Back, Cotter, which I vaguely huh. remember. Yeah, I think, I, yeah, he was like one of the non-sweat hog students. He was Cavelli. Oh, him, you know, sure. He was also in Laverne and Shirley. He played Chuck. You remember? Strangely, oh. not the missing um, Ron Howard brother from Happy Days, but there you go. <laughs> uh, was he any? Was he any relation to Max Fleischer? Not that I could find. Uh, he was known to dress as Roger Rabbit on set, all the way down to fake ears, gloves, overalls, the whole deal, and uh. read the characters' lines to actors so they'd have a better idea of who or what they were acting to or with. Um, there is, if you watch the DVD or with the documentaries, there's actually lots of footage of him doing this. Um, interestingly, I, I, I didn't actually write this into to trivia but what the hell uh apparently this caused a lot of people to think he was um somewhat deranged <laughs> but also he would wander around the studio in the roger costume between you know having to read lines and people thought that that was what roger was going to look like in the film so no expectations yeah so boy were they wrong <clears throat> this is to this date the one and only time that warner brothers characters and disney characters have legally shared a screen and I don't yeah. see that changing anytime soon. Oh, just wait till Disney buys Warner Brothers. Uh, well, see, right now, of course, we have that dichotomy because Disney owns Marvel and Warner Brothers owns DC. And those two things, you know, the only time we ever have those two things come together is when Spider-Man and Superman fought or JLA and Avengers and so on and so forth. Right, or the uh, the X-Men and the Teen Titans. And yeah, This happens a lot, okay? Yeah. yeah. Um, hey, do you know who, by... Leaps and Bounds was the first choice to play Eddie Valiant. I think I know this one. That was Harrison Ford, wasn't it? That is not correct. Although he no? was he was Steven Spielberg's choice, but Harrison Ford but was, he, too, he was expensive. too expensive. Yeah. yeah. No, uh, who was the first? The number one choice was Bill Murray. Oh wow, that would have been a different movie. Very different. I actually think it would have been a miscast because he needs to be more of a straight man for most of the film. And Murray just not being funny, I don't see it. <laughs> yeah. Not till later, but... Yeah, not at that point. He was too young. He, But no one huh. could get in touch with him. Oh. When Murray found <laughs> out that he that they wanted him and he, they couldn't get in touch with him, he was quoted as saying, Ah! As he would have loved <laughs> to have the role. Uh, oh, and as well, we, who wouldn't? Yeah, you know, it's... And I, I didn't know Bob Hoskins. I'd never heard of him. Um, I, I did. I knew him from one movie. I had seen him in Mona Lisa. Yeah. Which and he's amazing in that. But my God, is he a different character? Well, for one thing, he's British. He's very, very British. He's, oh, he's very working class <laughs> London. Yeah, he's got, he's got a very a pretty heavy English accent, which he can make just vanish. And he's done in a bunch of movies. I think the other one I remember from was Mermaids with Cher and Winona Ryder. Mermaids, if I remember correctly, uh, has the dubious distinction of having been partially filmed 
in the uh, the apartment complex where I lived. And oh, it's, really? Yeah, I was going to work one day, and there's the, all these trucks and these cables crossing the streets. Like, why are you in my way? The weirdest part is that they were filming the interior of one of the apartments to take place in Texas. This is Massachusetts. Sure. Because <laughs> of all, our, all the cactus we have. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> While Kathleen Turner was not credited in the movie, it was a secret that wasn't kept very long. It was Amy Irving who sang for Jessica Rabbit. She is the one who's credited for the voice. Um, Wasn't she at the time Mrs. Spielberg? uh, I'm not sure. Hmm. Um, I didn't look that far into it. Uh, I think she did a great job. Actually, both of them did. Oh, Kathleen Turner's voice in that was flawless. That was amazingly good casting. Uh, Apparently, having actually... Um, auditioned and been found terrifying <clears throat> Tim Curry was up for the role of Judge Doom oh wow now this yeah that could be even scarier jeez yeah well this is one of those cases where we'll get to, to Christopher Lloyd but you know with Bill Murray it's like I don't think it would have worked the same way at all hmm. Tim Curry I think would have worked equally but very differently yeah it would have been a totally different it would have been an entirely different movie really yeah but the character would have been... Well, I still would have liked to see that, especially... I mean, he was at his peak then. Yeah. Um, May Questel, or Kestel, was oh, the original yeah. voice for Betty Boop, and she Betty reprises Boop. her role, the one she started in 1930 in this film. <laughs> when Betty Boop stopped being a thing in 1939, she went over and became the voice of Olive Oil for the Popeye cartoons. Oh, Popeye! That very one. Not Shelley Duvall, as most people think. <laughs> yeah. No, that was from the unfortunate Robin Williams movie we do not speak of. No, we don't. In fact, you should stop speaking about it. Uh, Mel Blanc would reprise all of the Warner character roles except Yosemite Sam. Apparently, he no longer had the energy to do it. Uh, and to be fair, the woohoo, woohoo of Daffy Duck was also not done by him. Um, sadly, we'd only lose Mel a year later in 1989. Uh. The. Film's title is a question, but there's no question mark in the title. Do you know why? I know this. Yes, it's considered bad luck in Hollywood (laughs) to have a question mark in your movie title. I don't know where that came from, but I do know it's a thing. Yeah. The uh, master plan of eliminating the red car or the public transportation in this film is based, in fact, in the 1940s and 50s, large corporations secretly aligned to eliminate such things and to make people want and need cars more. That is still being felt today in states such as California and, oh, I don't know, Michigan. Yes, one of the funny, I don't know if it's unintentionally, but one of the ultimately funniest lines in the whole movie is when Doom is describing a freeway and he says, traffic jams will be a thing of the past. (laughs) That's friggin' hilarious. Yeah, yeah. uh, Just so you know, there actually is a subway system in the Los Angeles area. I've been on it. Sure, the BART. The BART. No, that's in San Francisco. Oh, that's same thing. Uh, no. <laughs> yes, it is. California's all one city. <laughs> They're only about 15 minutes apart. Max can be fired if you write in at... <clears throat> if enough of you write in, we will fire Max. Geography is hard. I still have... Tr- it's tough when you live in a... Time, you spend most of your life in a fairly small state like Massachusetts... It is really hard for me to understand the sheer size of a state like California. Yeah. When someone told me, I was like, well, couldn't you just drive from San Francisco to Los Angeles? And they're like, well, yeah, but it's like a 10-hour drive. Yeah. 
it didn't make sense to me. Yeah. Because that's halfway down the coast here. That's like going to Washington. Yeah. I have to go to Washington. Yeah, uh, I'm in the <laughs> same boat because you can drive for 10 hours and still be in Michigan. And Michigan's uh, not nearly the size of California. It's just yeah. in two hours in, in Massachusetts, you're in another state or the middle of the mo- ocean. That's just the way it is. So Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the, the, the subway system, in, in uh, at least in the uh, Studio City, Hollywood area, is actually very nice. The locals deride it. They're like, oh, that stupid thing. But it's got nice big platforms. The stations are, are relatively nice. It goes places. They just don't use it. So whatever. Huh. That tunnel! You know that tunnel! That famous tunnel is used in other Zemeckis productions, such as Back to the Future. It's apparently in Griffith Park. We will see that tunnel again. I believe it's used at one point in Blade Runner. I believe it's used in a fairly dreadful film called Bad Moon Rising. But that tunnel you'll see many, many, many times. There are a few chronological problems with the movie. Uh, probably the least of which is the goofy cartoon that's being watched in the theater by Eddie and Roger wouldn't come out till 1949, two, two years after the movie's supposed to take place. The movie Harvey, which is mentioned at one point in the bar scene, wouldn't come out till 1950. Uh, the movie's set in 1947, and Roadrunner and Coyote, who only show up in a final finale cameo, and I believe they're a silhouette on an elevator door, wouldn't have been drawn at this point either. And the song Witchcraft, which is sung by The Singing Sword, wouldn't be recorded <laughs> until 1957, but eh. <laughs> eh. Eh. Oh yeah. Also, don't we see? I mean, they're almost entirely cut off. But the the minions of Maleficent from uh, Sleeping Beauty, which I don't think came out till '49. Oh, or 50. Uh, 50. Those, mm-hmm. I don't know. Well, I didn't even bother mentioning the penguins, which are quite obviously supposed to be from oh, Mary, uh, Poppins, Mary Poppins, yeah. which wouldn't come out until 1960. So Oops. whatever. Uh, apparently yeah. there, there was supposed to be a bit where they are actually discovered working at the <laughs> cafe, but whatever. Uh. Strangely, or not so strangely, the film was not well received by some rather well-known people in the animation industry. Chuck Jones, who had set up the piano deal sequence with animation director Richard Williams, felt that Zemeckis had overstepped his bounds and that the animation ended up being, quote, an obnoxious, witless misunderstanding of the cartoons it set out to honor, end quote. Yeah. And, um, well, we'll talk about that. Whether we agree with Mr. Mr. Jones. Mr. Jones. And... <laughs> no more Counting Crows imitations. That is what that song's about, you know. No, it's not. Yep, totally. It's about Chuck Jones. So this one I did not know. While we never see the real version of Judge Doom, it is suggested, spoiler, it is suggested that he is in real life Pistol Packin' Possum, a character seen in a poster in Arcade Maroon's office in the beginning of the movie. Interesting. He holds the same long gun that Doom uses later and has the same crazy red eyes. Now I have to go back and look. Yeah. I remember seeing the pistol pack and possum and thinking, I want to see a pistol pack and possum cartoon. <laughs> I thought that would be great. He's crazy. <laughs> um, this, as we mentioned, is based on a novel that was called Who Censored Roger Rabbit yep. by yep. Gary Wolf. Roger I actually the, read that. Yeah. Roger in this version is a comic strip character, not a cartoon. In the novel, Roger is murdered and Valiant seeks out the culprit, wending his way through such elements as a genie of the lamp and a double that was made for Roger. Uh, but yeah, it seems to what little I read of the plot um, bears, shall we say, no resemblance to the movie. Virtually none. I yeah. mean, there's a couple of the same character names, but the plot's completely different. There's no Judge Doom. Yeah, it's a lot more hard-boiled detective-y, 
and a lot more film noiry, which this sort of starts out that way and tries to have elements of it, but it's not. Well, for and me, it's, it's a almost, lot darker, quite honestly. Yeah, and apparently, uh, Mr. Wolf was not pleased with this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, he was. I don't. I know he was local at one point because I think we had him in. In fact, I know we had him in at a signing at the picnic, uh, New England's best and oldest comic book store, and. Um, he was kind of grouchy about the whole deal, but, you know, that's what happens when you get something to be adapted. It's like, just assume that nothing you wrote is going to show up on screen. I think literally yeah. one line of dialogue made it into the film, and we'll talk about this, oh. but it's a very famous line of dialogue, and it's, I'm not bad, I'm bad, just drawn I'm dr- that way. Oh, yeah, that one that's in, the, the I think, the uh, AFI's top 100 movie lines. Yes, and we'll get to that. Jessica Rabbit would appear in a nude layout section in the French version of Penthouse. This, oh this is not something I found in trivia. This is something I know because I used to own the issue. Oh, my. Yes, totally nude. <laughs> uh, wow. I do not think this was done with the permission of Touchstone or <laughs> Amblin Entertainment. Um, so, um, did the carpet match the drapes? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I find myself no richer for that knowledge. Oh, but well. There you go. Um, it was yeah, a big okay. deal. Uh, we, somehow we found out about it ahead of time, and there are two newsstands, or were two newsstands in Harvard Square that carried uh, uh, stuff from out of, uh, literally out of town news. And yeah. uh, they carried the French version of Penthouse, and we went over and got them, assuming they were going to be a big collector's item. I don't think they ever were. Huh. But, and hey, lots of people originally considered for lots of roles. It's uh, fun! Uh. <laughs> Yeah, the list of people who are like uh, Ed Harris, Eddie Murphy, uh, Pee Wee Herman. Um, <clears throat> oh, that would have been a different movie. Eddie Deason was considered for Roger Wright. Tons and tons of people. And I, you know, I assume that this is at some point somebody like gets access to somebody's wastebasket and they find duels <laughs> of who they'd like in movies, and that's how this makes it into quote unquote trivia. Because I'm surprised yeah. that like. Oh, I don't know. Lucille Ball wasn't considered for Roger Rabbit. You know, I mean, who knows? <laughs> ah, Eddie! <laughs> Sorry I killed your brother! But uh, do you know any more trivia that's worth mentioning? Uh, let's see. You already mentioned that it was historically... That part was uh, historically yeah. accurate. Just in um, case. Other than, other than the vast number of cameos. Yeah. Uh, no, no, I think... Uh, I think that's it. Yeah. The, uh, oh, yeah. Oh, excuse me. There was going to be a sequel, which has been continually buzzed about for over thirty years. Yep. It was actually going to be a prequel, like Roger and the Toon Squad, which was supposed to take place. Roger comes to Hollywood, ends up being drafted, and goes over to Nazi Germany to save his girlfriend Jessica. Okay. Never happened. Yeah. And, there's there's a certain um, how should we say um, player that is not interested. Can you guess who, which? Uh, Spielberg? Nope. Fleischer? Nope. I don't know. Disney. <laughs> not oh. not interested. <laughs> yeah. There is a sequel to the book. Yeah, which came out after the movie and apparently is leaning a little bit more towards the plot of the movie, i.e. let's try and get some of that thick Disney cash. But Yeah, but you know. to, very clearly as no one, re- people remember who censored Roger Rabbit, do uh, you know the title of the sequel? Uh, I looked it up and I've already forgotten it. Yeah, so have I. (laughs) So, now, this is when I do uh, injustice to the plot. It's 1947. It's Los Angeles. Toontown is a real thing, and cartoon characters live side by side with real people. One such character, Roger Rabbit, he said, switching his accent for no particularly good reason. 
<laughs> Mostly because he knows it would annoy Max and he'd be soon told to stop. Yes. Uh, one such character, Roger Rabbit, is having trouble making his latest cartoon. Seems he just can't make himself see stars on command. He's distracted as he's worried about the fidelity of his wife, Jessica. <laughs> Jessica. Uh, <clears throat> sorry. <clears throat> To clear the air, cartoon producer R.K. Maroon hires down-and-out private eye Eddie Valiant, whose brother was killed by a cartoon in the line of duty, to take some photos of Jessica two-timing Roger. He does so, connecting her to Acme joke president Marvin Acme. What a coincidence. When confronted by the evidence, Robert go Robert Roger goes nuts and flees. <laughs> the next day, Marvin Acme is found dead, and Roger is the prime suspect. Jessica says he didn't do it. As things get muddy, in walks local politician Judge Doom and his band of animated weasels. <laughs> yeah, this plot. Uh, they, too, are looking for Roger and have a way of disposing of tunes for good. Dip, a smelly, dun, dun, dun. a smelly mix of acetone and other noxious chemicals. In the background, things are changing in L.A. There is confusion about what will happen to Toontown, owned by Acme, as no will has been discovered. The local public transportation system has been privatized, and the company that owns it is in line to gulp up the real estate of that Toontown occupies. I'm not kidding. <laughs> yes, yeah. public transportation plays a large part of the plot of this film. Yes, as does real estate scams. Yeah. Eddie's brother's killer seems to somehow be connected, and during all of this, there are anvils falling, exploding cigars, juggled bowling balls, and instant holes. Just as things can't get more complicated, they do, climaxing in a I-should-have-seen-this-coming ending that involves nearly every visual gag in the file. Zut alors! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that covers it. More or less. But now, yeah, more or less. the flim. The lowdown. So, the opening is ostensibly a cartoon you go to films you used to see a cartoon yep. or so but it's it turns out to actually be them making the cartoon and it's gorgeous this it is so beautiful it is just it, it's an example of the the apex of 2d animation and this is it's Richard warner Williams. brothers at its best it's, oh, it's I, I got more of a warner brothers feel from it than i did for say disney i I'd, I'd actually say i felt a little bit more uh, mgm uh, okay. Not least of which because of the pair of legs being Robert uh, or Roger Rabbit's, I don't know, owner or whatever. Um, this is Richard Williams. A lot of people don't know the name. It's not a household name. I don't. A lot of people would also not know that the tiled floor is one of his things. He loves doing tiled floors. No computer uh, animation was harmed in the making of this. There is none. Uh, not even for the background. It's all hand done. It's all hand-drawn animation. And this is Richard Williams' at his popular best. It's not at his technical best, but at his popular best. Um, the cartoons, quite honestly, are way better looking than the cartoons they're referencing. Uh, the animation is more fluid. It's just... And it's funny. It's the all what? the old gags. It's, you know, yeah. the... the not not, not the, pie in the face, but it's that kind of thing. Yep, um, the bad puns, like the oven being called hotter in hell. Yeah. Um, and it's it's... I I'm we'll write in this right away. I disagree with Chuck Jones. I think this is fully embracing where it's coming from. Now it yeah, makes things more serious with the characters because we see them, you know, behind the scenes and stuff. But yeah. at every moment, there is still weird, goofy stuff going on. Um, this cartoon would thankfully uh, get Disney slash Amblin to make three Roger Rabbit shorts, all of which were fun. They're not quite as technically good as this, but the opening is great, and it sets the mood wonderfully. 
Um, we also see that they, they do the whole uh, animation and real people integration thing from the start, because as soon as he flubs his line, quote-unquote, by seeing birds instead of stars, the director w- walks in. Uh, do you know who the director was? I, I used to. Is that Zemeckis? No, it's Joel Silver. Oh, God. All right. Yeah, and apparently he snuck his way into the film because he and uh, I can't remember if it's, it's not Zemeckis, it's uh, Michael Eisner apparently really uh, disliked each other. And of course, oh. Eisner was the head of Disney at this point, and he shaved off his beard and, and snuck into the role. And Joel I, Silver is practically a cartoon, or was practically a cartoon character himself. He was legendary for being unbelievably tightly wound and bouncing off walls and screaming at everybody. Yeah. Apparently, upon seeing his performance, Eisner, in a, in a show of good humor, said, eh, he was good. <laughs> <laughs> good for him. One of the things I love the most is the weird disconnect between Baby Herman, the way he looks, the way he sounds in the cartoon, and his actual 50-year-old Brooklyn guy voice. Yeah. And to be- like, what the hell was wrong with that take? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and to be fair, there is actually one other line of dialogue that does make it in from the movie, and that is the I'm. Although in the in the book he's thirty years old, here he's fifty. Uh, he says, "I'm fifty year old, fifty uh, year old mind with a three year old winky," um, <laughs> which gets things going to let us know that uh, tunes are dirty. <laughs> yeah, yeah, tunes. We see them. They smoke. They drink. They apparently have sex or want to. And, uh, let's go right into one of my talking points. So, do tunes have sex? Uh, well, we don't ever hear any about any of them having children. I um, I I don't know. I don't well, from either. this movie. I mean, Lena Hyena clearly <laughs> wants to. <laughs> Everybody in the bar or in the the nightclub when Jessica yeah, does her mar- paint wants to. Yeah, I mean, there she's clearly turning them all on. Yeah, I I have no idea. And if they did, how? The physics of this world are very strange, and that that was one of the things I like. I really wish they had done more. I'm kind of glad they didn't. But, like, when Ro- at one point Roger and Eddie are handcuffed together, yeah. and Eddie's trying to ha- hacksaw his way out of it, and Roger takes his hand out of the cuff to hold the table steady, and there's one of my, one of the, my favorite moments in the movie is... Eddie looks at him and goes, you mean you could have taken your hand out of that cuff any time? And Roger very seriously says, no, only when it was funny. <laughs> it's like, wow, I wanted to know more about that. Wait a minute, you mean so the Toons can only use their sort of superpowers outside of Toontown? Because in Toontown, anything goes. But in the so-called real world, there is a certain set of circumstances. I wanted to know more about that. It, this this sort of dovetails into one of my other points is that, and we've talked about this, a lot of times you may have a film with a somewhat janky proposition. And if you're a good filmmaker, if you have control over a good script writer and you get good performances, you may end up with a product that basically hypnotizes the audience into enjoying your film so much that they don't examine things too closely. Yeah. And this they is a suspend their, yeah. This, this is, is a perfect example of that. Yeah, if you, this movie, you suspend your disbelief willingly. Yeah. You have no problem with it. But if you do start to take a look, you oh, start yeah, having questions like, hey, do tunes get to vote? Yeah. Do they age? I'm, yeah, do they get older? Do they, I mean... 
And at one point, uh, the police lieutenant says, we always thought there was no way to kill a tune except for, you know, then it turns out the dip. But we see that isn't true. The weasels, for example, die laughing. Well, except technically you could say they transform. They become True. ghost tunes, which then yeah. have to go to heaven. But I, but do they? We don't know. True, we don't. That, and, is, that is fair. And one of the most quotable lines, which as I said, we would get back to this, in the film raises a very large question. So Jessica, at one point, she's thought to be as bad as she appears. Uh, and she says, I'm not bad. I'm drawn that way. Yeah. Who, who drew, drew her? her? Yeah. yeah. Uh, what create, how do tunes get created? And we see That's... Betty Boop who's in black and white. Why? Yeah. Yes. Like this, when they, this makes no sense much to me. Work, there hasn't been much work for me since tunes went to color. What? Huh? Yeah. And Betty Boop later as a mascot, cause she stopped making cartoons in 1939, more or less. Uh, you'd see Betty Boop shows up every once in a while. I think she showed up again in the fifties. She's shown up in the eighties. And I think she's still yeah. like Betty Boop's still a thing. You can buy stuff with Betty Boop and she's in color. Admittedly, it's mostly yeah. just her lips, but whatever. So what also something a little creepy about her because apparently she's supposed to be 13. Yeah, well, and she had a boyfriend who was a dog thing named Bimbo, but whatever. Not Bosco. No, Bosco was a clown. Oh, Bimbo. And also, Bimbo was uh, Fleischer, and Bosco was, uh, I believe, was early Merry Melodies, but don't quote me. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, So there are lots of things that just kind of are like, what's going on? So Toontown takes up actual um, real estate. Real estate. Why? And it's apparently (laughs) covered by the same real estate laws. I guess. Because it's actual property, and it can be deeded to people. And, and, and tunes are subject to the law, but what kind of law? I mean, we, we see from, like, headlines on uh, Valiant's desk, Goofy was cleared of spy charges. <laughs> Who would have thought Goofy would be a spy? Well, Then you wonder, is Goofy really the way he is in the movies? Maybe he's actually, like, some <laughs> jaded, world-weary uh, uh, communist sympa- Nazi sympathizer. We don't know, because we, as we see with Baby Herman... The way they appear in the cartoons and the way they are in real life can be completely different. Well, you heard it here first, folks. Goofy is a criminal mastermind. <laughs> That's right. Goofy is behind everything. We do, however... No, uh, wait, wait, wait. We do have one yep. question that is finally answered about Goofy in this film, if nowhere else. Goofy is a dog. Wait, what? how do we know that? Roger says it in one point. He refers to him as a dog. And I'm like, oh, okay. okay. Now, that's All a, right. This is Touchstone, so we have to say that's canon. So if it's not said yeah. anywhere else, Goofy's apparently a dog. However, okay. Roger also says that he's better than Goofy. In what no, no. way? He doesn't say that. R- Jessica says that. Oh, okay. Jessica so, says that to him. You were wonderful. Was, was I really better than Goofy? In what way? In yeah. what way? way yeah you have to wonder a little bit of the prison (laughs) (laughs) yeah and we're on ferris bueller yeah so some of the casting in this also strikes is is so unusual marvin acme you know who that was that was stubby k famous from musical theater okay yeah he was in guys and dolls he was one of the balladeers in uh oh lord cat baloo yeah he's a he, he was a major song and dance guy and he has what two well one scene and one scene where you hear him in this movie as Marvin Acme. Yeah. 
Uh, we get a couple of little voice cameos. Pat Buttram, who has been in oh, uh, yep. everything, like many, many Disney pictures. He's probably most visually well-remembered as uh, Mr. Haney from Green Acres. He played Mr. one of the bullets. Douglas. Yeah, he, he has that voice that cracks in and out. <laughs> um, yep, yep. June Foray is in as Lena Hyena, and she does wonderfully. Um, we get Squiggy of Lenny and the Squig Tones. He plays yep, the yep. main weasel. Uh, smart who, ass. Smart ass. Um, of course, Mel Blanc we talked about. Uh, Droopy was done by Richard Williams, who is the uh, animator. Um, the one and only time that he will do dro- uh, Droopy. And in a blink and you won't recognize her, we get Joanna Cassidy, who some might remember from Blade Runner. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. She was uh, Zora, wasn't she? Yes, she was. Beautiful yeah, and deadly. Uh, Joanna, Ca- Joanna Cassidy is Dolores, uh, yep. Eddie's uh, girlfriend. So, yeah. Um, and I forget the name of the guy who did... Yosemite Sam, but apparently he had taken over the role because Mel Blanc couldn't do it anymore, and yeah. Mel Blanc was happy to let him do it yeah. from then on. We, sh- we, sh- we should also say right now, we're not going to try to list all the cartoon no. cameos, because no. it's basically, I think, the entire catalog of Disney, Warner Brothers, and everyone else. It's actually smaller than you might think, but it's... Really? Yeah. Like, I think there was more cameos. There's certainly more Warner cameos in Space Jam than there are here. Um, the oh. lists I looked at were actually pretty finite, and certain studios like MGM and Fleischer are represented by, like, two characters. So, like, yeah. there's no Popeye in this. Um, oh, that's true. That's yeah, true. and I forget who was in who the MGM... P- oh, Woody Woodpecker is briefly in there. Which, oh, yeah, he shows up. And mm-hmm. I forget... Oh, that's Lance Studios. Uh, I forget who was from MGM. But anyway, it's lots of... As many characters as they could legally get away with. Um, but, yeah. And I gotta say... When I saw that movie for the first time, I had so much cognitive dissonance at this one moment, and now it's even worse. Uh oh. It's one moment when Eddie's falling in Toontown and he meets Mickey, Mickey Mouse, and Bugs Bunny at the same time. Yep. That makes my head hurt even <laughs> now. Well, especially because they're so weird. Well, especially because they're friends. It's like. Yeah, they obviously know each other and. <laughs> Oh, it, it, oh, do you box? You know, it's like, okay. Because <laughs> they're very much not the same character. Mickey Mouse is always supposed to be the plucky little hero, and Bugs Bunny was always the, the wise guy. Wise. Yeah, also, Bugs was funny. Uh, well, I'm sorry. Mickey was never supposed to be funny. He no. didn't crack jokes. He didn't make fun of people. He was a straight mouse. <laughs> <laughs> nice of you to have that little... Uh, added part there yeah um, apparently by the way there's there's a headline on eddie's desk that implies that at one time or another mickey was mayor of toontown yes yes it was um interestingly uh warner and disney cooperated only if their characters got equal screen time which is why they pretty much always appear equally together in the same scene Okay. I didn't That's count them. You, yeah. I didn't count them, but I'm bet- betting that Mickey and Bugs have the same number of lines. I wouldn't be surprised. And that's why Daffy it's, and Donald are together. And right, and the movie closes with Porky doing the, the "That's All, Folks," at the, and Tinkerbell doing the "Whack with the Magic Wand." Yep, exactly why. Uh, I yeah. per- per- personally thought that the Donald and Daffy bit worked great. Oh, um, that was wonderful. I wanted. To, I wish it had gone on longer. Yeah, that's <laughs> the part that was set up by Richard Williams and. Uh, Chuck Jones, which apparently Chuck Jones uh, was upset because they he thought that Zemeckis walked all over Richard Williams and that the animation part didn't live up. I again, I disagree. I thought it was great. I and, enjoyed and the it. In, the interaction, the whole Ink and Paint Club sequence. Yep. 
is a masterpiece of the animated characters interacting with the live-action ones. It's one of the best. Not just like the penguins bringing drinks, and I still love the jo- the bit of where Eddie asks for scotch on the rocks, and the penguin walks <laughs> off and he turns and goes, and I mean ice. <laughs> it's too late. And, and it's too late because he brings him literally a, a glass of scotch with some rocks in it. <laughs> and when he, when he takes the drink off the, off the tray, you believe it. When he's talking to Betty Boop, you believe she's there. The, mo- the best part is when Jessica is vamping for the audience and she's all over RK Maroon when she pinches his cheeks. Yeah. And she takes his tie and buffs his for his head. Yeah. You you believe it. You can see the interaction. That was unbelievably well done. There's one shot that doesn't work for me. Oh. And that's when the gorilla throws him out. It's a little wonky but the way he's held yeah. up. Yeah. Yeah. It it, and that's unbel- that's really hard to do. I can't yeah. imagine how you would have a cartoon pick up a human and have it done believably there's a tiny but, little thing in the background where a guy hands an empty glass to the octopus and the yeah. glass gets picked up and it's moved around and it's whipping around like it's in the <laughs> a tentacle of an octopus and it works great we've talked about this throughout the whole series about when you have a movie where you have mixture of animation and live action how well do the characters interact and this is a masterwork it in is. that especially because again no computers None. No. And apparently when approached with this, Richard Williams says, I'm going to do the three things that you never do. Let's see if I can remember them all. One of them is you never move the camera. It's always still because otherwise you have to animate the characters in moving in three dimension. And that's really, really hard to get across and to make oh, a look. Of course. And he yeah. said, nope, I'm going to move the camera as much as I possibly can. You <laughs> never have characters holding real objects. Nope, I'm going to do that All too. the time. All the time. The weasels are holding real guns. Roger and the others are holding glasses. Yep. And the third one, I think, is I think you do not use real lighting. And he said, nope, I'm doing that too. And there's shadows th- all the time. I thought the third one was you don't talk about Fight Club. <laughs> you just broke it again. Oh, damn it. Oh, did you not get my Xeroxed memo? <laughs> Sigh. Go back and make some soap. Either. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the soap scene. Okay. Yeah. This is pretty much the gold standard for a number of things, Uh, and the integration. I think you know we talked about in Space Jam. Everybody's looking where they're supposed to, and it's fine. Yeah. But I want to say that the believability of the characters being where they are is just not even close. And that film was made what? 12 years later what was it 99 2000 something like that yeah it was i think it was 99 yeah and they spent yeah. a huge well okay so originally the film was budgeted for 50 million and the studio was like uh no so they said okay 30 and they were like okay <laughs> um <laughs> it became 70 oh, whoops and a lot of that was the animation which was all being done by richard williams studio in in england um this is what happens when you pay people who have the skills to do what they're supposed to do yeah is you get something that's really amazing um and of course there's been roger rabbit rides and there was a toontown in disneyland and there's been stuff um it's been a film that people i think when they saw it remember fairly well there hasn't been there was actually surprisingly little roger rabbit merchandise when the film yeah there was almost none i i do remember a diet coke commercial with uh Roger and Eddie and Jessica. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it's you just look at this and it's like there was a lot of money and a lot of care done with this. Apparently, poor poor, uh, Bob Hoskins, he said the only way for him to really get through the part was to start hallucinating that there were characters. (laughs) 
And he said that he didn't take another part for a year after he finished uh, shooting because he kept seeing weasels pop up and stuff. Oh, God. Yeah, because he just kept making himself believe they were there. I I like the quote where he said... His it was the his, he did this movie and his son wouldn't talk to him. <laughs> his son was so was furious at him, and he was like, "Why?" He says, "I can't believe you worked with Bugs Bunny and Mickey Mouse and you didn't introduce me." <laughs> I I love that. That's so cute. Which is really interesting. I didn't see how old his kid was. I did see that. I left it out of yeah. trivia because trivia was huge. But yeah. it's really interesting because there is that age at which point you believe that these characters are real yeah right that's and that's what this movie in effect takes advantage of it does it, that's one of the appealing uh, aspects of it for adult audiences is it brings that part of our childhood back i also read in the trivia that they screened this for a bunch of teenagers and they hated it yeah the, the, the early screening was for 18 and 19 year olds and they're like this is stupid which is yeah. probably the absolute worst group you could get to look at this because they're Seriously. like they're too cool for school and they're not you know old enough to have any kind of nostalgia yet really so yeah and apparently zemeckis was like i don't care if they didn't like it i'm not changing a thing which to be fair good for him would have been really really hard yeah Um, yeah the making of this film really they had to shoot all of the live action first and once it was shot that's it because now all of the sequences that had animation in it they had to literally make a print like a a picture a photograph of every frame in which there's going to be a, an animated character so that the animators could then animate to that frame then they would make the those drawings oh. go on to cells they would ink the cells paint the cells <laughs> photograph the cells and then recomposite it all back into and that doesn't include adding the the whole layers with shadows and highlights and that and the, and all that sort of thing good lord and so basically the film live action elements it's like that's it we're not getting there's not going to be no pickup shots there, there's, there's no reshooting <laughs> yeah, there's, yeah. And, and to cut out any of the sequences with the animation would cost a fortune because it's like oh we're going to cut out this scene oh that million dollar scene that we just did that one <laughs> yeah so this was an that, exceedingly hard movie to make but well, the thing that strikes me also about this movie is setting aside the technical aspects setting aside the fun and how well they do the, the animated characters in the live action, this is a good movie. Yes. It's a really well-done story. The characters are ex- are believable, which is saying something. Yeah. The characters, you get they're sympathetic. They establish the characters really well. I mean, it's I love how they establish Eddie Valiant's character, a whole bunch of his backstory, just by panning the camera across his desk. Yeah. And you see old headlines and old photographs, and you know... In, it takes like 30 seconds, and it's like, okay, we know this guy. Yeah. And he's suffering. He's a he's, he's fallen into alcoholism because he's trying to, he can't cope with the death of his brother. He blames himself. Also, we get little backstory like, oh, he his father was in the circus. He's had, his father taught him to be a clown. That's how he can do all those ridiculous stunts at the end. And this is Zemeckis right about when he's hitting his peak. He's already done Back to the Future. He did uh, Jewel of the Nile. Um, he did this. He would do two more Back to the Future films. He would do Forrest Gump. And it's before he gets weird and decides his his whole mocap animation thing. Because remember, he did things like the Polar Express, which, weird. And eh, Beowulf. Uncanny Valley. Uh, yeah, Beowulf, which is just... Ah. Yeah. 
Yeah. And he keeps yeah. wanting to do these things, and they keep not working. I mean, I admire him because he's usually he's trying different things. He's trying things that, honestly, you think, really? You want to do an animated version of the oldest known epic, in the second oldest known epic after Gilgamesh? Really? <laughs> yeah. And you're going to animate mm-hmm. Anthony Hopkins' ass? Well... <laughs> My glass is up to you, sir. Yeah, uh, yeah. Th- I don't want to be on set for that, but sure, go uh, ahead. Yeah, I remember seeing that film and the two things that drove me nuts. Nobody blinked and nobody breathed. Yeah. And it's yeah, like they had those dead eyes. Anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, but... just filmed actors. And it's obvious yeah, here, yeah. Zemeckis knows how to tell a story. Because again, yeah. he is polishing over a bunch of stuff that we could a- ask ourselves but he doesn't give us time to because we're too busy investing ourselves in the characters, the plot, and the plot. So speaking of the story, remember I said we'll get back to Chinatown. The plot of this is actually based loosely on an unfilmed China Chinatown sequel. Really? So, I can kind of see that, except it's not as creepy or horribly violent and doesn't have any pedophiles in it. And good for that. <laughs> Although, as we see, if you look carefully, Toontown has prostitutes um, for a good time call. Oh, right. Allison Wonderland. Yeah. Oh, Lord. And there's also, I did not see this. Um, during yeah. the Daffy Donald piano duel, uh, yeah. Daffy is going through a bunch of things that he is hitting the piano with, the most obvious of which is a, a boxing glove. Apparently, yeah. there's like two frames of him using a dead baby. <laughs> Oh, I thought that I read that in the trivia. I thought they removed that. Uh, no, there was also oh, a sequence dear. where you, you would apparently see enough of underneath Jessica's dress to see that it was just flesh-colored paint, but they changed <laughs> it back to white-colored paint, so she's wearing panties because apparently, yeah, no, that there's some adult <laughs> stuff in there. Oh yes. yeah, oh yeah. Oh, baby Herman. I mean, oh, yeah. that woman who's pushing apparently that's his wife. Oh, so I uh, I don't want to. Uh. I mean that. This case, a cigar mm-hmm. is just a cigar, but it's not. <laughs> um, yeah, so there's there's a lot of this is actually the, the one of the things I read too is that if this film was produced today, it actually would be PG thirteen. I'm sure it would be. Yeah, um, because there's but, too much suggested stuff and some of the quote unquote language. I mean, nobody actually swears, but um, oh well, no. Eddie says "son of a bitch." That's not a swear. Yeah. Um, but hey, real quickly for the performances, we talked about Bob Hoskins, who usually talks like this, you know, <laughs> a lot more like this, and he does a lot of that. And he's he he nails it. He is perfect. Yeah, Christopher Lloyd, dear oh, God, God. <laughs> the man turns into a human cartoon. He really does. The way he moves, the way he looks, his expressions. I want to give him a little extra credit. I want to say he literally turns into a cartoon playing a human. Yeah, which is what he uh, is. Um, I didn't notice this, but apparently he did, he said he noticed somewhere in the script that Judge Doom doesn't blink. So he said, fine, I'm not going to blink. And he never blinks. And that's one of the reasons Man. he looks so creepy. We it's hard to tell because he's always wearing those sunglasses. Right. But you can see his eyes and they're they're, they're creepy. And those yeah. weird teeth. Oh, um, the teeth. And the way he turns around even, just like he rotates in place. And I didn't notice this either. Apparently his cloak is always billowing, just like a cartoon Oh, villains would. I didn't notice that either. Yeah, he was originally supposed to have a uh, an animated vulture sitting on his shoulder. <laughs> Honestly, God. does not need it. Does no. not need it. Um, the sequence where he dips the cartoon shoe. Yeah. That is actually, a, I remember as when I was younger seeing that, and I, I wasn't a child. I was in my 20s when I saw that, and I was still like, oh my God, this is horrible. Yeah. 
as we watch him slowly murder an innocent, apparently sentient prop. Yeah. And we don't know what, like, that's where the, some of the questions about, well, do Toons have rights or not? Yeah, because he talks about he's just going to execute Roger without a trial. Right. I'm pretty sure that California circuit judges <laughs> did not have the power to execute people on the spot. Well, they this do is now. Not, he's, he's Judge Doom, not Judge Dredd. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, he talks about using Dip to get rid of Toontown. Well, Toontown is alive. All of the buildings yeah, are dancing be, and singing. Murder? Um and you can see why, like, humans wouldn't live there, because you can't sleep in Toontown. It's just yeah, not and it's possible. That also brings up, like, when Toons go out in the real world, the sheer amount of property damage they do is staggering. Yeah. Um, I don't know how they get away with that. I, 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 who know, do they have money? Is it drawn? Is well, it they have it? simoleons. I think literally, because they a couple of times people refer to it, and that was a slang in the old days for money. Oh, dollars were simoleons, but... I think in this, that's their actual currency. Well, except we know Dumbo works for peanuts, so. Uh, right, right. <laughs> yeah, no, again, Christopher Lloyd, that performance is amazing. Do you know who he based I, that performance on? No. Captain Krug. The the Klingon he played in Star Trek. Oh, 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 okay. <laughs> yeah, that's what he said, apparently, and it's like, okay. But he's even colder and creepier, quite honestly. Krug was nothing in that film yeah. compared to, to Judge Doom. Because yeah. he's just like utterly humorless and cold and just and the thing is we never find out is why he's doing this oh sure to get the land and to but why does does money matter i'm gonna guess that maybe rk stopped making pistol pack and possum cartoons and he's pissed or something i don't know we don't and you know what again this is where we're talking about where storytelling takes the place of logic and we don't care it doesn't matter we don't and it's, I mean, it's kind of frustrating. At the end, they're all standing around going, I wonder who he really was. And it's kind of a nice touch. We don't really know no. who he was, what he was. Apparently, in the early version of the script, they were going to use Magiclorians, but uh, <laughs> uh. they decided not to. <laughs> uh, for those of you who can think way back to, yeah, Magiclorians. <clears throat> it's a yeah, thing. and again, Joanna Cassidy does a really nice, understated job yep. as Dolores. You believe the relate, you can see the both... The sadness she feels at what Eddie's come to and the fact that she still loves him. Yeah. and But she's so disappointed in, in how he's collapsed. Right. Into and, the bottle. Yep. And again, even Kathleen Turner, honestly, Jessica Rabbit would not have been nearly as sexy or appealing without that voice. Oh, no. And that song, because too. Because that, that voice... That voice is pure sonic sex. It's unbelievable. And the, the Amy Irving song is really... There's so many times in movies where they want to have that that song. The song yeah. where the woman or the man, usually it's a woman, sings. And it's like, oh, this is the broken heart song. This is the somebody done me wrong song. And, uh, and, and it mesmerizes the audience. And usually you just take it as, oh, we're supposed to be mesmerized. Because yeah. it doesn't work. This really works she does a great yeah. great job of that song it's wonderfully slow and and bernie and just ugh. great performance and that the, the touches of the time the 1947 the fact that one of the bar flies in there is a guy who's missing an arm mm. and is still wearing his soldier his world war ii soldier's uniform and it has a purple he has a purple heart and judge doom guys, grabs his sleeve to wipe off the chalkboard it, that's when you really that that bar 
is a really is a great moment of establishing both Doom's character and Eddie's. Because Doom is treating all these people who are obviously good people down in their luck, he's treating them like crap. The first time Eddie walks in, the first thing he does is he pats one of them on the shoulder and going, hey, hey, Sam, how you doing? And he's like, well, what's wrong with Earl? He obviously cares about these people, and instantly you know he's a good guy. Yeah, and then one of the because guys you're is, not sure initially, and that guy's when he's a, a for, mute too because he has to write out the answer yes. on a piece of paper. Yeah, so this is one of those cases that it's 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 a a skill that I don't even know how you acquire it, but the ability to pepper your story with details that themselves don't draw attention but explain everything. Yeah. And you don't have to sit there and go, oh, you know, I wonder why that guy's got a gun in his shoe, because that doesn't make sense. And how come Pepper is the third molecule on the planet Frizztar? And, <laughs> you know, stuff like, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Some of this is scripted, folks. Guess which parts. Um, and this is back when Zemeckis could do that. And yeah. there's films that are like that never explain things. George Lucas is not on this list. Speaking of magic Magichlorians. Um, mm. And you don't need to know. You don't. It's all there. You can take it in as an audience while you're watching the movie without even realizing it. Yeah. So So this is both a, a, a the best, I think, the best example of live action animation working together. And it's a damn good movie in and of itself. It just works. You're skipping and ahead. <laughs> I, I am skipping ahead. Also, yeah. Shall we, we skip ahead? Let's skip ahead. Let's skip ahead. Yeah. Roundup. Whoa! I tripped skipping right. ahead. Yeah, so like I say, this, this movie... This <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, we, we're going to be changing the format a little bit, folks. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I, this movie still holds up for me. I still... I can see some of the the bare threads. Some of the animation, it doesn't look as good as it, it could today. The way, now, I don't mean the 2D stuff at the beginning. I mean the way the characters are animated. I know they could make them look realer or more impressive, but it's so beautiful for its time, and it is done with such love. Yeah. That that really comes across. I, I don't know what Chuck Jones was thinking, because the respect and the love for the whole, not just the, the individual characters, but the whole idea of cartoons in general is just saturates this movie. And... It's also, uh, it's got the film noir elements. It's got great performances by the live action people. It moves along beautifully. The pacing is great. The background music works. The, the What music in there, even, you know, Roger improvising lyrics to the merry-go-round broke down to Amy Irving's incredible, uh, you know, Torch song. song that she does in the Ink and Paint. The, the touch is like that the, the Ink and Paint Club is segregated. Yeah. It's humans. The tunes can work there, but only the humans can come there as customers, which is a call out to the clubs like the Cotton Club, yep. which black African-Americans could work there, but they couldn't, they couldn't attend. They couldn't be in the audience. Yeah. It's just so many wonderful touches. Yeah. And, you know, things like certain time elements being off. Eh. It's... Yeah. They doesn't matter. Yeah. What about you? How do you feel about this movie? What a piece of dreck. I can't believe it was ever made. Garbage, 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 boo, boo, hiss. Now, of course, it's wonderful. I think you're lying, Grandpa. <laughs> no, it's it's a great film. Um, yeah. And it's, I mean, we, we gave this away weeks ago. Uh, it is really the gold standard of all the films yeah. that we've watched. And to be fair, we watched some real crap. There are scenes, I would say that the Smurfs, 
possibly had more concrete looking animation, but it was 3D and you lose a lot when you go to 3D because you don't have, people don't stretch and squash things to incredible levels. Like Roger Rabbit would not work nearly as well if he was half of as as expressive as he is, which is what happens when you go to 2D um, or 3D. So, and if you don't know Richard Williams, again, he's not a household name. Go onto YouTube, look for a film that he never really completed called The Thief and the Cobbler. Oh, I've heard of that. It is probably the most gorgeous technical 2D hand-drawn animation ever done, especially since it's all done by one person, which is one of the reasons he never finished it. Um, unfortunately, the story is not as good as it could be. It has Vincent Price doing a wonderful part, but it is absolutely beautiful. Um, and this is why I think when Richard passed away recently, I think last year he passed away, he was kind of the last of his kind. There are still some, some masters out there like Glenn Keane, who did, uh, probably most, most noted for doing the animation of Ariel and the, um, Lord of Atlantis. No, of, of, uh, <laughs> down below the sea that, that film with the little mermaid. Yeah. 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 Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, mermaid, mermaid. Uh, <laughs> But I don't think he, I honestly don't think he has it on Richard Williams. I really think Williams has it best. And this stuff, there's original characters in here like Roger Rabbit and Jessica Rabbit, which were great. There's old favorites. Uh, apparently the animators had to fight to get the 40s version of Bugs Money because they uh, wanted him to match all the merchandise for the current version. Sure. And he was like, no. So they snuck it in. <laughs> they gave they gave him fake drawings. And like, oh, here it is. Okay, good. And they went and did the 40s <laughs> one anyway. Um. I think maybe Chuck Jones and people like that didn't like the idea of there being behind-the-scenes versions of the characters, like when they weren't making cartoons or whatever. But honestly, Bugs is Bugs. Mickey is Mickey. Donald and Daffy are Donald and Daffy, and I love the fact that Daffy gets frustrated with Donald. Can anyone understand what he's saying? (laughs) (laughs) That's the last time I work with someone with a speech impediment. Yeah. So, Uh. and it does... Of all the films we've watched, some good, some bad, some surprising, some not really surprising, I want to say that they've taken a concept that is problematic at best. They say, we're going to mix real people and obviously hand-drawn or computer-made cartoon characters. It doesn't work. On its very basis, this idea does not work. It's like time travel. You can't look into it in any way that will make it make sense. But... When it's done well, when you're telling a story, when you've got good characters and good performances, you get to that that sweet spot of the audience not caring. Yeah. And that's the only way it works. Because I was actually thinking ahead, and it's like, what part of Toon Time are, are Ralph Bakshi's characters in? Because <laughs> you can actually make it like a, a whole thing about the idea that Toon Time eventually turns into that, like we saw in Cool World, right? When oh, things oh, yeah. get, get bad in the <laughs> 80s, right? But anyway. It becomes a bad neighborhood, yeah. No... Yeah, I agree. This this movie is the total package, and there's a reason we left it for last. <laughs> you said package. <laughs> package. What do, you, what do you think about the um, idea that the whole idea of integrating cartoons and real people just really on its surface just does not work? Initially, it seems like an impossible job. Uh, you can see why people want to do it. It's a funny idea, but it's unbelievably hard to do well, and we've seen that. Yeah. Uh, this this shows that it is not only is possible, but it can be done beautifully. Yeah. But we are done being drawn apart now. We're drawn back together. Oh, boy.
boy. Yep. Oh, it's been so long. So uh, what the hell are we doing next week since we ain't drawn next, together? Uh, pot. Well, next week we're going into a short series. Shorts? We're Just, doing shorts? Yep. Yes, we are. We're going to salute our shorts. <laughs> and... Uh, as we, co- as we come up to our 100th episode, Ooh. the next few weeks, we're going to be doing, quite simply, a few of our favorite things. Aw. Are you going to say? We're basically... <laughs> Raindrops on roses! No. You could have said no, yes. <laughs> yeah. uh, yes, we're just uh, going to pick a couple of movies that we just flat out love. Just the movies we always go back to, the movies we never get tired of seeing. Like It Conquered the our- World. <laughs> so, of course. Because, of course, he forgot. That man is a feeling creature. <laughs> I'm, Hello, Peter I'm Peter Graves. <laughs> no, next week we were going. We're going I'm going to start out with one of my all-time favorite movies, and uh, it's not. I, I wish it was something really obscure and something that I know nobody has seen, but it's not. It's Casablanca. That piece of crap. I ain't going to yeah, watch that. Yeah, okay, that fine. over that overblown World War II story. Yeah. With some guy named Humpy Boggart or something. No, no, I don't it's know. Ronald Reagan and Ann Sheridan. Oh, that's right. <laughs> that's well, <laughs> well, next week we're going to see if this movie would have been better with me. Uh, <laughs> and that'll be in the trivia, I'm sure. Oh, yes. Uh, it, so that's, that's what we're going to start with. Then Mike will pick one and I'll pick one and so forth. And, and Bumpy will pick one. <laughs> Yes, Bumpy will pick one, which we will then fold until it's all sharp corners, <laughs> and then use as a suppository for him. I think you said it had something to do with a talking mule. <laughs> which one? There are like nine Francis the Talking Mule. We'll cover movies. all of them. Bumpy oh, loves yeah. them. Yes, we are going to cover all of them in gasoline and set them on fire. So till using <laughs> Bumpy as as an igniter. So till next week. This has been a co-production of The Voice of Max and The Movie Wrench.